Observe the wild great shell stalking the shattered plains. Her carapace scrapes against the chasm walls. This one has already mated and looks now to find a safe place to pupate. It is a difficult life, finding a place out here among the storms. But there is a beauty to creatures like her. A behemoth who defies physics itself as she stands tall on her fourteen legs. Yet life, <laughs> well, life finds a way. Alrighty, Scatriel, I see your ash mounts and your being too close to the sun, and Therenity with your deadly forests full of ghosts. Enough with the rinky-dink worlds of Cell and Nalthus with single planets and a maximum of two shards. Now this time, this time we're headed to the big leagues. I'm Arian, and this week on the World Hopper's Guide, we are looking at the Rosharan system. Get ready for a hardcore fake science lesson. Okay, so what is the Rosharan system? Let's start zoomed out on a planet level. The Cosmere itself is actually a dwarf galaxy with multiple habitable solar systems. That is a tough one to say, but anyway. The Rosharn system contains three planets and ten gas giants. Of the three planets, the one with the sort of middlemost orbit around the sun is Roshar, the primary setting of the Stormlight Archive. The other planets are Ashen, which orbits closest to the sun, and Braze, which is farthest. We'll talk about those in a little more detail. But uh, beyond that are ten gas giants, which are basically super low-density planets that aren't habitable. They are denoted by the first ten Voran numerals, Yez, Nan, Chach, Vev, Pala, Shash, Betab, Kak, Tanat, and Ishi. Oof, that's rough. I don't know how to pronounce anything. But, yeah, well, plus Roshar itself has three moons. Salus, or Salus, uh, violet-colored and the smallest, Noman, the bright blue and the largest, and finally Mishim which is green and in the middle. So, with that all said, let's zoom in and take a look at Roshar first, since that's obviously where the meat of our content is. For simplicity's sake, we'll start a discussion of the planet before shards get involved, and if you don't know about the history, check out the Oath Pact and Desolations episode, or strap in and I'll sort of recap it later. For now, an ecology lesson. So as far as fantasy planets go, Roshar is one of the more unique ones out there, and a real hallmark to Brandon's style and his ability to create entirely alien worlds. Roshar is smaller than the Cosmere Standard Planet, which is measured by uh, Yolan, the original kind of planet of life. But uh, Roshar itself is about 90% of the size, uh, and it has about 70% of normal gravity and a little more oxygen, and those metrics are closer to what we understand here on Earth. So yeah, lower gravity, more oxygen. The seasons on Roshar are also pretty kind of unpredictable, and they happen in the scale of weeks. That's because Roshar itself, uh, unlike Earth, it, it does not have an axial tilt, which is to say, uh, if you imagine Earth revolving around the sun on a certain sort of plane, the axis around which it rotates, which is how the days kind of go by, and a face of the Earth faces the sun, a face of the Earth faces away, um, that axis is tilted slightly. So one hemisphere of the Earth is always kind of tilted more toward the sun for an extended period of time, which gives us winter and summer. Roshar doesn't have that, so as it's rotating around the sun, I don't know why I'm putting my hand in a circular gesture like you can see it, but as it's rotating around its sun, the axis around which Roshar uh, rotates, which is how you get day and night, is actually straight up and down perpendicular to the um, plane at which uh, Roshar is revolving. I, I hope that makes some sense. It's basically a lot neater than the way Earth works. 
Moving on, though, uh, instead of a bunch of smaller land masses, there is just one giant supercontinent of Roshar that houses all known land-based life. This continent was designed at some point before the shattering by Adenalsium itself, as demonstrated by the fact that it's the shape it's the shape of the continent is uh, a perfect example of the geometric uh, Julia set, which is a type of fractal. To save you from the mathematical details, although it's a neat little point, uh, it basically demonstrates that there is some kind of intent to the building of the supercontinent. Uh, in fact, the shape might actually be due to the craziest part of Roshar's ecology, which is the high storms. These high storms, basically hurricane-level storms that move from the east to the west, are sort of the designing principle of Roshar, since literally everything is shaped by them. They are believed to start from a point called the Origin, way out to the east, though it's also possible that it is just one storm that slowly wraps around the continent. We just don't know because there's, we, there's no land in that direction, there's just the continent. The high storm deposits creme, a brownish kind of clay-like material that hardens to something like stone, Krem is used to build primitive buildings and small pottery, and in fact it's the buildup of Krem which is allowing Groshar to slowly move westward. As the high storms erode the east coast with their powerful sort of gale force winds, the buildup of Krem in the west as deposits is slowly causing the continent to drift. According to Ross Newberry's article on Tor.com, which I will link in the show notes, uh, high storm winds blow in a single direction as opposed to the cyclonic nature of hurricanes on Earth. These high storms are chock full of investiture, which we'll get to later, and they tend to break and get weaker right up until Shinovar. Thus, Shinovar, farthest to the east, is the most protected, and therefore closest to the quote-unquote normal ecology as we understand it. But uh, as for the rest of the planet, let's dive into the unique flora and fauna of Roshar, and precisely how life has managed to evolve under these wildest of conditions. So what's fascinating about Roshar and life is just how consistent it is, and how strange humans are as a result, uh, something we don't truly appreciate until one of the reveals an Oathbringer. Plants on Roshar have evolved multiple methods to survive the high storms. The rock buds retract their grasses into shells if something comes near, while stumpweight trees retract their leaves, which only grow on the leeward side, the one that doesn't get hit by wind. Other trees fall prone when something comes by, or plants like snarled brush grow thick to wrap around each other. Animal life, meanwhile, tends to have hard shells, uh, everything from the axe hounds to the chulls to the waterborne santhids and the singers themselves. In terms of non-humanoid animals, we can talk about the most common ones, which are, uh, there's the axe hounds, which are the domesticated dog-like creatures that walk on six legs. They are the Rosharan man's best friend and kind of adorable. Similar to them are the chulls, which are the slow, crustaceous beasts of burden used all over the continent. Kremlings, meanwhile, are the insect crustaceans that basically follow around Krem and notably they're involved with the Imeans, which we will get to. So beyond the small stuff, there are also the Great Shells, most well known the Chasm Fiends which roam the Shattered Plains to pupate. These are terrifying, gigantic predators with more than a dozen legs and arrow-like faces. We've seen Dalinar and Adolin face one down, and then later Kaladin and Shallan. Other Great Shells include the absolutely enormous island-sized Taina, where the Reshi people make their homes. Uh, these people worship the Great Shells as their god and the creatures move slowly through the Reshi Sea. And then, of course, there's the Santhid, which are the sort of underwater versions that Shallan briefly comes across in Words of Radiance. Most of the creatures we've talked about, and especially the Great Shells, have a structure at their center known as the Gemheart. The Gemheart is how they survive, and seems to have been created when Investiture leaked into the physical realm and literally affected the evolution of these creatures. Gemhearts can hold Stormlight and, most importantly, Bondsbren, 
We'll talk about Spren more in depth later, but I assume we all know the basics. Uh, Spren bonding inside a gemstone is the key to Fabriel technology and to the survival of native creatures. Great shells, for example, are mathematically unable to support their own weight. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. The, it do, doesn't matter. Even with the reduced gravity, there's just no way for something of that size to hold itself up. Uh, they managed to do so, however, by bonding the Luxpren, also known as the Mondras, which somehow allowed them to be lighter or somehow fly. They're also uh, the means by which sky eels literally manage to just fly around in the air. But uh, to talk more about gem hearts and native species weirdness, it is time to talk about the two main sapient creatures of Roshar. Those are the Imians and the Listeners. The Imians, obviously, are native to Imia, way out to the west of Roshar proper. We don't know a whole lot about them, though, because uh, by the time of the main story in Stormlight, Imia has been scoured at some point in the previous generation, and it's believed that uh, a lot of the local population has been wiped out. For whatever reason, Yasna seems to be the most associated with this, or knows the most about it, so we'll probably find out about it sometime soon, I guess we'll have to see. We do know that the Imians still do exist, at least uh, on the central island of Akina, which they are defending pretty heavily. There are two main species of Imian, the Sia and the Dissian, and the only Sia Imian we know is Axis the Collector. He's got uh, blue skin and blue eyes and the ability to change his physical form with tattoos, his sense of smell, and other stuff, and uh, he's effectively immortal. He also casts his shadow toward the sun, which means he's got some kind of connection to the cognitive realm. We've seen him in an interlude of Way of Kings, where he comes across the giant Spren Kusakesh. He also pops up in one of the Risen interludes when she goes to the Reshi Isles. Dissian Imians, meanwhile, are known as the Sleepless. These beings are formed entirely of a horde of Kremlings that form a body, uh, so these Kremlings are actually called Hordlings. We know that they exist on planets beyond Roshar and are capable of interplanetary travel, so it's unclear what they are, but the fact that they are made of Kremlings certainly makes it seem like they are Rosharan. And we definitely know Rojar has seen interplanetary travel between the Five Scholars and all that stuff, but uh, yeah, there's a lot going on there. They are the ones writing the back cover blurbs of all the Stormlight books, and they're clearly watching the Radians carefully. They're also willing to kill people to protect the secrets of Akina. But now, uh, let's move into the very interesting topic of the Parsh, or the Singers, known more properly. Born native to Roshar, these are humanoids with marbled skin who have gem hearts and are apparently able to breed with humans. Hence we get uh, some Hurtasians and uh, Horn Eaters. At their base, their species are known as the Singers for their ability to attune the many rhythms that are native to Roshar, uh, their primary means of expressing emotions. The idea of rhythms is apparently a Cosmere-wide phenomenon that manifests itself on Roshar as the rhythms like amusement, curiosity, longing, mourning, and a whole lot more. According to Brandon, these are related somehow to the allomantic pulses that a mistborn burning bronze could hear. In other words, they both appear to be different manifestations of some bigger principle going on that we'll probably learn about at some point. Uh, another aspect of the singer physiology is their ability to step into the storms and bond spren within their gem heart, changing their forms. So you have the main five are dull form, work form, nimble form, mate form, and war form. Before the arrival of humanity, these were the only types of singers that existed. If we want to talk about the Parshmen, the Regals, and the Fuse, we need to dip into a history lesson. We're going to breeze a little bit over the history here, since a lot of it was covered in the Oath Pact and Desolations episode, but uh, here we go. Roshar, as I said, existed pre-shattering of Adenalsium, with many of the species we just described. Uh, Spren also existed, little pieces of investiture that were able to bond into gem hearts and probably react to the world. 
For example, Rotspren and Painspren, uh, for the sake of my own sanity, we will have a whole episode dedicated to the study of Spren, so for the most part, we'll stay out of the cognitive realm. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more in depth later in the episode, but uh, expect a more comprehensive look at Spren and stuff like that in a future episode. So once Adenalsium was shattered, the recently made shards Honor and Cultivation, who had been lovers as uh, mortals, decided to settle on Roshar. There, they established themselves as something like the gods of the Rosharan peoples, with their investiture slowly seeping into the world and influencing Spren. Some of them were of Honor, some of Cultivation, and some a mix. During this time, as we mentioned, uh, they were only the Singers in their various forms, and probably the Imians. So... With that said then, where did the humans come from? Well, that gets us to the second of the three planets in the Rosharan system, Ashen. Ashen, uh, spelled A-S-H-Y-N by the way, uh, from what we know was the original planet of humanity within the Rosharan system, though on an even grander scale it's likely that they migrated there from somewhere else in the galaxy, probably Yolin, which uh, we'll talk about or if we haven't already, I don't know. I'll breeze over the magic of Ashen since nothing is firmly canon about it, it was all in the unpublished uh, The Silence Divine, which Brandon may or may not write, but apparently it involved getting sick and gaining superpowers as long as you had that sickness. So anyway, we're not really sure what happened on Ashen, but apparently humanity destroyed their homes with something called the Dawn Shards, before somehow fleeing to Roshar. At that time, they brought the Shard Odium with them. How they were, how, how, how and why Odium was there, we're not totally sure, but he was. There, uh, once on Roshar though, the humans asked the native singers, who were then known as the Dawn Singers, for refuge. And the Dawn Singers were told, probably by honor, maybe by cultivation, that uh, they should help the humans. So humanity was given Shinovar, which was the least, like, Roshar-like part of the world and the most human-like, and the most like what the humans were used to. So the humans brought wine, birds, horses, pigs, and other food and drink and animals not native to Roshar. This then leads us to some curious word choices now, thousands of years later. Uh, every bird is a chicken, because the Rosharans don't have a word for bird, and there are no grapes, so wine refers to a whole variety of alcoholic drinks. There was kind of a cultural bottleneck thousands of years ago where the meaning of words shifted slightly. It is a fascinating study of worldbuilding on a minute level. Also, something notable is that we appear to be seeing the evolution of non-native Rosharan species actually gaining the ability to bond spren, or shadiums, which are horses have likely bonded Spren to gain some level of sapience and intelligence, even though they are not, they don't have gem hearts and they're not native to Roshar, which is an interesting thing to note. But uh, after that, we fast forward. Humanity, doing as humanity does, expanded out to claim all of Roshar. At some point along this road, and it should be clear, there's not a lot that we know uh, at the moment, uh, Honor and Odium switched sides. Honor and his Spren became allied with the humans, while Odium became god of the singers. Somehow, then, the desolations began, with, with Odium and his Unmade granting power to the Singers, which gets us to the Regals and the Fused. Regals are Singers who have bonded to Voidspren, which are the lesser Spren of Odium. Uh, Venli currently is one of them. They grant the forms of power, which include Storm Form, Envoy Form, Night Form, Decay Form, and Smoke Form, but they allow the Singer to keep their identity, even if it's sort of changes them. You, you can look at Eshenai um, in Words of Radiance for a good example. She was still Eshenai, but there was a part of her that was kind of closed off, probably because of the influence of the Void Spren. But as we see from Venli, uh, she does maintain her identity, even if she does have access to the new forms and the new rhythms. Fused, though, are a whole different can of worms. 
These are the cognitive shadows of singers long dead, who Odium granted the ability to return, overtaking the bodies of their host singers. They could also manipulate the fundamental surges of Roshar, which are adhesion, gravitation, division, abrasion, progression, illumination, transformation, transportation, cohesion, and tension. It's possible that they can only wield nine, we'll have to see how that works, we don't know a lot about how the fused actually use magic, but uh, these surges themselves are apparently unique to Roshar, and part of the fundamental physics of the world, probably kind of like the rhythms. But uh, in the intent of keeping this episode somewhere under an hour long, I will direct you to the great uh, Read and Find Out video that details the specific powers of the Knight's Radiant and the surges and how you can remember them. But anyway, with humanity getting absolutely crushed by these desolations, this constant just like the fuse and the, and the forms of power absolutely destroying them, ten humans decided to make a deal with Honor and willingly submit themselves to stop the desolations in a contract that was known as the Oath Pact. Honor granted the Heralds the Shardblades, which were pieces of his own investiture, that allowed them each access to two of the surges. From there, they were able to sort of stop the desolations. How, you ask? Well, that brings us to Braze. So Braze, the third and final planet in the Rosharan system, is home to Odium. Somehow, long, way back in the distant past, Honor and Cultivation managed to trap Odium in the Rosharan system, with most of his power tied specifically to Braze. It's what the Rosharans know as, um, I hope this doesn't get me a, uh, uh, an explicit rating, but it's what the Rosharans call damnation, and from what we know, it's barren and inhospitable. But given that two of our flashback characters will end up being heralds, uh, Ash and Tawn, in the later half of the books, it's likely we will get a better view of it. Because a lot of the second half of the Stormlight Archive is going to entail what happened to the heralds, as opposed to the first half, which is sort of answering the question, uh, what happened to the Knights Radiant? But somehow, the Oath Pact allowed the Heralds to travel to Braze and sort of bottleneck Odium and the Fused, who could not leave the planet, as long as the Heralds agreed to hold up their deal. So, they just captured the Heralds instead and tortured them until one of them broke. At that point, a desolation could begin back on Roshar, and the Heralds would be sent back to Roshar to fight until they died and were sent back to Braze. The cycle happened over and over again, dozens of times over thousands of years, but uh, along the way, Spren, little pieces of honor and cultivation, began to bond humanity in an imitation of the way that the Shards did, or at least Honor did with the Oath Pact. This led to the Ten Orders of the Knights Radiant, who each had the same powers as one of the Heralds. So let's fast forward just a little bit and, and get to Ahari Etiam, which is when the Heralds decide to leave Tawn to hold up the Oath Pact on his own, and fast forward even past that to the point where the, uh, False Desolation happens, which again, we talked about this a little bit, but it's relevant to the Parchment, because even though Tawn was holding up the Oath Pact himself, somehow the Singers managed to gain powers, the powers of Surge Binding. Now, this was probably because of uh, one of the Unmade, Bao Adomishram, doesn't really matter, but the point is, this Unmade was captured by the Knights Radiant in a perfect gem, at least as far as we can tell from the, the sort of archive of gems that are in Erythru. So... When that happened, somehow that ripped away the sentience of the Singers. Any of them who weren't the small tribe of Parshendi, who went on to call themselves the Listeners, ended up becoming Parshmen. Very close to dull form, but essentially what the, what the Singers called slave form. And these Parshmen were super docile, and they were what humans sort of turn into slaves. So yeah, that puts a pin on Singer physiology for us. But let's take a quick pit stop into the weird and wild world of Spren and Shards. 
In terms of miscellaneous investiture notes, we can take another look at the high storms and the shards. Perpendicularities, pools of shardic power, tend to manifest somewhere or another on a world that's inhabited by a shard. Honor's perpendicularity appears to not exist at the moment. Uh, it might have something to do with the high storms, we're not totally sure. We definitely see something happen uh, at the climax of Oathbringer, where Dalinar Colon apparently opens Honor's perpendicularity and brings the three realms together. Cultivation's perpendicularity, meanwhile, exists in the Horn Eater Peaks. It's sort of the source of the hot springs that allow the Horn Eaters to live up there in relative warmth. Interestingly, because perpendicularities can actually be used to world hop, we know that Hoyd has popped up there at least once. Rock, or Lunamore, tells the story to Kaladin at some point about how he saw a god, a white-haired god, pop up out of the pool, uh, and, of course, that white-haired man is none other than the wonderful Hoyd. It's also where Azur, the captain of the wall guard in Kolinar, is attempting to look in order to get back to the physical realm after being transported to Shadesmar, so it's probably where she popped up as well. Um, there's definitely stuff going on with uh, Honor and Cultivation sort of having their spren with Honor kind of infusing the Stormfather and the Nightwatcher being an avatar of Cultivation. And of course, there's a sibling who we don't know much about, but they appear to run Rithru. This is getting off topic. Spren, as we understand them. Let's look at those guys. Tiny splinters of the shards who exist mainly in the cognitive realm, and uh, come to be because of perceptions in the physical realm. Like, flame spren, pain spren, life spren, wind spren. Uh, they're often attracted to the objects in question, or come up when a person is feeling the relevant emotion. The spren are native to the cognitive realm, known as Shadesmar, to the Rosharans. In this realm of thought, where the sea is land and the land is a sea of beads, Spren have civilizations and complete lives, or at least the higher intelligence ones do, because uh, they have varying degrees of intelligence, just like living creatures in the physical realm. Some, like Anger Spren and Gloom Spren, are basically animals, while Spren that form bonds with humans, like Sil and the Honor Spren, or Pattern and the Cryptics, are fully aware. The Nahel bond, Nahel, Nahel, is the bond that's going on between Spren and humans to achieve a Knight Radiant. Basically, the Spren fills in the human's uh, spirit web and grants them access to two of the surges. We've talked about this a little before, but it's this notion of sort of a spiritual identity that a person has that can be cracked by trauma and pain, and investiture can sometimes kind of go into it and fill those gaps. It doesn't always need to be serious trauma, like the Lopen is a good example of someone who doesn't have a traumatic backstory, but it does appear to help. But as far as Spren, who can actually make the Nahel Bond, uh, there's only ten orders who can do that, and these appear to be the higher order Spren, who rule the cities in Shadesmar. Yeah, you know what, <laughs> in the interest of uh, keeping my sanity, uh, we're going to hold off on delving too deep into the interactions between Spren and humans as they relate to magic, and just put that in a separate episode like I said I would. Uh, for now, I think that's actually where we're going to wrap up this incredibly tedious science lesson, but uh, I hope it was at least um, interesting to listen to. Yeah, now that I think about it, not a great place to wrap it up, but we've kind of covered a lot in this episode uh, between the details of the physical realm and the cognitive realm in uh, on Roshar. So I hope that gives you a, a better appreciation for sort of the amount of world building that goes on in this in this story, the amount of sort of interconnectedness that is going on with the the physical forms of everything there is, the the evolution and all that. We will definitely come back to this topic a little bit later, uh, especially the spren and the bonds and all that stuff. It's hard to keep track of all that. But, uh, yeah, so thanks to the 17th Shard for the information, and Kevin McLeod for the intro music. 
If you like what you hear, feel free to let your Cosmere Aware friends kind of know about the show and drop a review on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, that definitely helps if you're so inclined. Uh, but beyond that, shoot me an email at uh, worldhoppersguide at gmail.com if you have something that you might think would be cool to talk about. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening and uh, whew, I will see you next time.